Well, hey there, beautiful people. This is Kim Constable on the Kim Constable podcast. Nobody cares work harder. I bet you are very surprised to hear from me again this week because I have managed to record a podcast two weeks in a row. I know it's amazing. And you know what? I would love to be one of these people who could, you know, bang out like 20 podcasts in a week and then like schedule them for the next six months. But I am not that way because one, I don't have the time. And two, whenever I do podcasts, I very rarely do interviews. So they take a lot of planning and they actually take a lot of energy to deliver them. And once I've finished recording a podcast, quite honestly, I'm exhausted because it's like teaching a masterclass for me because, you know, I do it to the best of my ability, which is why you guys say that you love the podcast. So because that's how I do it and because it takes a lot of energy, you're just going to have to suck it up sometimes whenever there's not a podcast to be had. But you are going to be glad to hear that I do have a podcast for you. And it is an interview with the fabulous Michaela Peterson, who, yes, is Jordan Peterson's daughter. I do hate to give her a billing because she is a person in her own right. She is fabulous. She is not just Jordan Peterson's daughter. She is a friend of mine. We've been friends for many years. It's actually going on about three years, I think, we, or maybe four three or four years, I don't know, that we have been friends. Uh, we met on Instagram, we became friends, we WhatsApp each other, we chat, we connect, we send each other videos. She's wonderful. And I had her on the podcast before and I really did a shitty job of interviewing her because I actually cried on the podcast. I have been known to cry occasionally on the podcast, especially when I'm drinking whiskey and you all love the whiskey interview, like the whiskey episode. I keep saying people, Kim, keep, people keep saying to me, Kim, drink whiskey before you podcast because it was absolutely epic. So I probably should do a drunk podcast one night. But um, okay, I got sidetracked with Kayla Peterson. I had her on the podcast before. I asked her really shitty questions and I wanted to have her back on because in the last four years since I had her on three years ago, she has catapulted to success with her own podcast, the Kayla Peterson podcast. Um, and also has been uh, did a debate in Oxford University. Um, if you're in America, you might be like, where? But like Oxford University is the equivalent of your Harvard or Yale. So she is just an amazing person. She's extremely smart. Um, I love her views on things. She has overcome an incredible amount of adversity in her life. Um, and now she has cured herself of um, chronic rheumatoid arthritis, which she had since she was three and um, several autoimmune diseases. She's completely off all medication and pain-free from eating a diet of only, are you ready? Beef, salt, and water. Not even kidding. Now, when I say beef, salt, and water, well, she said now she can eat like, um, she can eat beef and bison and um, lamb or something as well. Now you're like, oh my God, Kim, all the vegans are not, you're now horrified. You're covering your ears. You're like, why is this girl on the podcast? This is like disrespectful to vegans. I totally get it. Right. But hear me out. You have to hear her story because it's very easy to judge whenever you don't have all the data. And you know me, I don't like the angry peachy vegans. I don't like the judgmental ones. I'm always encouraging people to step back from their own judgment and their own perception and their emotional reaction and to gather more data data so that we can all be the, hmm, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the, the, the basic premise of veganism is do no harm, but that also extends to uh, human beings. And so I do see a lot of people, a lot of vegans in the world being really quite nasty to humans. I had one the other day who was like, you know, oh, you're using vegan in your name, but I see you're riding horses. You know, I, you're, you must be using the word vegan in order to, to get more attention and more followers. Scammer. I was like, where on earth did you come from? Scammer, she called me. I was like, do you get dizzy up there on your high horse looking down at the rest of the world? So yeah, we do like really, you know, I, th I think that sometimes we're a little um, disintegrated in our behavior when it doesn't match our beliefs. I am vegan. I believe that, you know, all beings should be protected and taken care of and nobody should be exploited. But yet I'm going to call you an asshole and a scammer and I'm going to like unleash all my anger on you. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense, does it? So you're going to love Michaela. You're going to hear her story. And at the end of it, you're going to go, <laughs> you know what? 
if I had gone through what she had gone through, I would be I would be breeding cattle and killing them and eating them. Because truly, if I had gone through the pain that Michaela had gone through, I don't think I would be vegan. Truly. So you have to walk in another person's shoes. You have to listen to what she says. But apart from that, we talk we talk about everything. We talk about COVID and vaccines. We talk about um, schooling. We no, no, maybe we don't talk about schooling. No, we don't talk about schooling. Actually, <laughs> I'm thinking of someone else. But we cover um, many many different perspectives. And this is a really really interesting, really intelligent conversation. And I know that you guys listening to this are like on another level with intelligence. And that's why you love these kinds of conversations. So I know you're going to love this podcast. So you know what you have to do. You have to leave me a review on the podcast wherever you listen to it. Screen grab that review. Send it to me on Instagram. Make sure it's a positive and a nice one. And then we will pick a winner of a Sculpted Vegan program and we will announce it in January. No, we will pick it in January and we will announce it in February and you could win any Sculpted Vegan program of your choice if you just leave me a review and send me a screen grab on Instagram. So I'm going to go to the podcast with Michaela. I'm going to let you listen to it and then I will talk to you again at the end. Michaela Peterson for the second time on my podcast and I feel very honored because I know you don't do a lot of interviews and I promise not to cry this time. (laughs) I don't care if you cry. It was so I was like listening back to it last time like oh my god I didn't even ask her any like half decent questions. It was so oh, bad. That's not true at all. No, our last conversation was great. Thanks for having me back on. Oh, oh no, here it's amazing. It's going to be a very different conversation today, which is good because uh, it's funny because I you have started, you know, you started your podcast a year ago now, is it? Or is it longer? About a year and a half now. Year and a half. Time flies. So yeah. the Michaela Peterson podcast, and you have exploded into the podcasting world with some absolutely incredible guests, some incredible, you know, discussions. Um, it's been uh, it's been phenomenal to watch your growth. You know, as you know, we've been friends for many years now, I think, which is random. We'll talk about that in a minute. But let me just let me for those of you for those people who don't know you, I'm just going to read out a little bit about you first before we start. So Michaela Peterson is a Canadian podcaster, CEO and lifestyle and diet blogger. I got this from your website, by the way. Her podcast, the Michaela Peterson podcast, provides a platform where she hosts a wide range of experts to discuss health, cultural phenomena, politics, and other topics that are often shied away from. And that is very true. And that's what I love about you. You're not afraid to speak out. Um, she also has a series called Opposing Views, focusing on both sides of the debate on contentious subjects. Her background in overcoming severe autoimmune and mood disorders with diet and lifestyle alone, and sub- subsequently becoming medication and symptom-free, have inspired hundreds of thousands of people aclo- across the globe. Michaela's main goal is to help people become resilient, which is why I wanted to have you on the podcast, and realize how much control they have over their own life to encourage others to take responsibility for their physical and mental health and to help show people that they have the power to better their lives, regardless of the cards they have been dealt. That is such a great introduction to you, such a great bio. I usually write something myself, but whenever I read that, I was like, it literally just covers everything that I, the reasons why I wanted to have you on here. So, um, but listen, from your point of view, I would love, can you tell my listeners a little bit about you? Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Just kind of a little bit of a background story. Uh, so I was born in Montreal. I can start there. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew, grew up, spent most of my childhood in Toronto and Canada, and it was pretty good. Like I talk a lot about how sick I was because I, I had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and I was quite ill, but I think when you're little and sick, you don't know any different. So I think overall, I actually had a pretty happy childhood. Um, I was diagnosed with depression when I was in grade six, but it was always like, okay, you've got, that's the medical problem. And it's not because your life is bad. And so I think that made it easier to deal with because I was like, my life isn't bad. I'm just like feeling awful, but that's because I had an autoimmune disorder. I had this depression. So I, I grew up in a pretty stable like family. My dad, your listeners might know Jordan Peterson. Um, my family was pretty good growing up, um, but I dealt with a lot of health problems and I had my hip and ankle replaced when I was 17 from the arthritis, even though I was on immune suppressants. Uh, so they obviously didn't work very well. They didn't stop. They, when I first went on them, I went from being nearly wheelchair bound to running around in like five months. So they, they made a massive difference right away. They're injectable immunosuppressants, this one called Enbrel and methotrexate. And, but for some reason, they didn't stop any of the tissue damage. 
So my joints became less swollen, but then when I was 17, I had to get them replaced because all the cartilage was gone in my hip and my ankle. So the doctors had no idea what was going on. And that kind of led me to diet by the time I was 23, because I kept getting sicker and sicker and I had more diagnoses just piling on top. I was having, I was getting rashes. I had idiopathic hypersomnia, chronic fatigue. The depression was getting worse and worse and worse. The arthritis wasn't going away. And I went back to school for biomedical science after I initially dropped out of psychology and classics because I was too sick. Uh, but then I started taking Adderall and then I could wake up, went back to school for biomedical science and tried to figure out what was wrong with me. And after about a year, I was like, might as well just kind of cross diet off the list because I'd been brought up thinking it doesn't really matter what you eat at all. Like calories, obviously. And they obviously don't only eat dessert because you're going to get sugar crashes like that kind of thing. But it was pretty baseline. And we didn't, I didn't eat a lot of junk growing up. My mom was pretty health oriented. So there was a lot of like whole grain bread, like the kind nobody really likes that's full of seeds <laughs> and just, you know, lots of nuts and things and just like healthier food, wide variety. Um, so I limited my food to kind of do a scientific experiment. Basically it was like, what are people allergic to? And got rid of all those. So I was like, well, a lot of a lot of people are allergic to dairy. A lot of people are allergic to eggs, soy, um, grains, shellfish. Like I just kind of I got rid of everything I thought people could be allergic to, and went down to basically meat and vegetables for a month, but very limited. I think I was eating seventeen foods, and I was very very meticulous about it. So I was like on Adderall. And was like, this is like my life. I need to make sure if I, if I'm going to ignore diet after this, I need to make sure I really rule it out. And I ended up putting myself into remission in the first month, which was insane. Right. I was like, this is like, this is absurd. And I was going to my doctor saying, this is crazy. Like, I think diet's impacting me. And in three months, um, I was off all of my medication my idiopathic hypersomnia. So this chronic fatigue I'd had since I was 14 was gone. I'd lost some weight, um, but mostly I just, my bloating had reduced crazily, I, which I didn't even know I was bloated. And, um, and then my depression lifted and that was, and the arthritis had, had kind of cleared up in the first six weeks. So I started being able to sleep on my shoulders because I wasn't able to sleep on my shoulders. Um, I stopped taking, I was taking Tylenol three at night to be able to sleep because of the shoulder pain, I stopped taking everything. And then that's when things got weird. So um, it turns out, and I've talked about this a lot because this was really hard on my family. My dad and I were both on antidepressants. So SSRIs for like 13 years, super high dose uh, because the depression was really severe. So it was a high dose and it wasn't, it wasn't really monitored through a psychiatrist. It was just monitored through a family doctor. Um, and I stopped taking that when the depression lifted. Cause I was like, I'm not taking any drugs ever again. Right. Um, if this is controllable by diet, um, I don't, you know, I didn't know it was real at that point. It was like, like I was so shocked that diet could impact me that dramatically. So I stopped taking everything. And a couple of weeks later, I went into severe SSRI withdrawal. And I'd been, when I had my hip and ankle done, I, um, I'd been on Oxycontin. So I was very familiar with like opiate withdrawal, which is pretty obvious. Like you stop taking it and then you're super achy, super sweaty. You can get nauseous, like depending how much you stop taking and how fast you get this crawling sensation under your skin. It's very unpleasant, but it's really obvious. Like you see it in movies, you can kind of recognize it. SSRI withdrawal was an entirely different monster. And that was like, it was like my depression came back, um, but way worse than I'd ever had it before. I had visual hallucinations and this overwhelming feeling of terror where it's just like something bad is going to happen. Something bad is going to happen. So like fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And it, I didn't know that that was SSRI withdrawal because I didn't know antidepressants were dependence forming mm -hmm. for like two and a half, no, four years. Four years. Like I, I just you realized had all that these last symptoms year. for four years. No, I had that. I had that dramatic SSRI withdrawal for about a year. Wow. Uh, oh it, yeah. It was awful. It was the worst period of my entire what life. Did, what like, age were you? That was when I stopped taking it when I was 
20, I, let me think. Must've been 23, 20 yeah, something. 23. Is like so young. Yeah. So 23, 23 is when I went on the diet. And three months later, I went off of the antidepressants because I could feel the depression go away. So I was still yeah. on that medication, but I stopped my immunosuppressants because the arthritis went away. I was on this antibiotic for skin rashes, stopped taking that. I was on Adderall, stopped taking that because my chronic fatigue went away. And then it was like, oh, the depression's gone too. Okay, don't need that one. And all the other ones, I hadn't noticed anything when I stopped taking them. So, and then you because there was this del- the same. Yeah. And because there was this delay in the like withdrawal. So I felt pretty good. I stopped taking them. I was like, great, I'm fine. And it wasn't for two weeks. And then it, it hit. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a food reaction. Right. So, and it was exacerbated by carbier foods. So when I kept trying to reintroduce carbier foods, the symptoms would go absolutely crazy. Um, I had light sensitivity, heat sensitivity, cold sensitivity, sound sensitivity. I couldn't listen to music for a while. Cause I hurt my ears. It was crazy. And I talked to doctors about it and they had no idea what was going on. And part of the reason I ended up, so I'm, I've been kind of, I guess you could say notorious for this all meat diet that I've been doing. And part of the reason I ended up on that was, is complicated. But one of the reasons was because I had this severe SSRI withdrawal. And so I was, I was fine on this paleo diet. And when I stopped taking the antidepressant and put myself into an SSRI withdrawal, I got carb sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And so that was mitigated by not eating any carbs. And so Anyway, I kind of got that under control and then I had a baby and then my autoimmune symptoms came back. So then it was like, after you gave birth, after Scarlett was born, like while, while I was pregnant, but I thought, you know, I was Google, I was like, you know, I'm itchy. My arthritis is back. I'm weepy. Like, but you know, that's just hormonal changes. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, people get like a lot of weird things happen to them when they're pregnant. So maybe the joint pain is just pregnancy joint pain. But then after I had scarlet, it got worse and it didn't go away. And I was like, that was when I was eating meat and greens. And I was like, I have no idea what's going on. And my wrist was bad enough that it was buckling when I was getting out of bed to breastfeed her. And I was like, I'm worried I'm going to drop scarlet. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was bad. So I, I got to a point where I was like, well, I don't think I'm reacting to steak, not in an autoimmune way. So maybe I'll do that for a month, see if I can get rid of my symptoms and then reintroduce foods. And it took about six weeks for my symptoms to clear up. And then it took about five months to help the leftover anxiety, which I think was really SSRI withdrawal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a whole bunch of factors in here. Um, And then I haven't been able to, like, since then I've tried you know, probiotics. I've tried, I've gone to doctors to try FMT. Have you heard of FMT? No. Okay. Well, that's the thing they take, like it's called fecal microbiota transplant. Mm. So they, they take a healthy stool donor and then put it in you to try and it's to like super and, probiotics yeah, for your microbiome, basically to try and build up a, a new microbiome. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That didn't work either. So there was, I was going to try low dose naltrexone to see if that could reduce sensitivity. But anyway, I've been on this meat diet since 2017. I don't have any symptoms, so I'm doing totally fine, but I can't reintroduce anything without bringing the symptoms back. How frustrating is that? Because, you know, and, and I want to talk about that for a little second, because since you were last on the, the podcast, which was a couple of years ago, obviously we've grown to quarter of a million downloads a month. And so a lot of people, you know, follow me, vegans and non-vegans. But as you're talking about, you know, eating only meat, I know some of my listeners are going to be going, really? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So like I think, it's, I think yeah. it's important to talk about that because it is something that I, um, that I've talked about before. A couple of times, I've mentioned you quite a few times in my podcast, actually, because I do talk about how whenever I first find you on Instagram, because I followed your dad, obviously, and then I he would have tagged you and I followed you and I saw like, eats only beef, salt and water. And I was like, beef, salt and water. Like <laughs> I could cure her with a vegan diet. That's the, honestly, like I was so narcissistic, yeah. like, and I'm sure you get that a lot. People like, oh, that's ridiculous, you know, and you're like, you're going to tell me like, so uh, I, so there will be a lot of people listening and I really, you know. I don't judge anyone for their, like, I don't eat meat or, or animals, but I don't judge anyone who chooses to do it. But certainly I think it's, um, I would love to talk a little bit more about, I guess about that and about how, not even really about the carnivore diet, because I'm, I'm not here to promote a carnivore diet, obviously being a vegan, but I do want to talk a little bit about 
um, the how you transitioned to a meat only diet, like beef, salt, and water, like no, and you said you're going to have bourbon as well, like no tea, no coffee, no grains, no toast. Like people, whenever I tell people this, they go like nothing else. I'm like, no, no, yeah. like nothing else. I like, you know, beef for breakfast, beef for lunch, beef for dinner. And they're like, how does she do it? So can you talk a little bit about, I guess, what is requ- the kind of resilience that is required to stick to a diet like that? Because we get a lot of people in this podcast going, or in my networks going, I just can't stick to the diet, you know, and I'm like, you're eating six yeah. times a day. Really? It's not, it's a lot of food. So tell us your experience of what it takes to do that kind of extreme diet. So what happened to me was I got, it took two, I think it, I had to be pushed for like two decades of being sick. Right. And, and I was a kid, so you, know, you can let a kid off the hook, mm. but, um, I started researching when I was 18 to try and figure out an underlying cause. And then by the time I got to diet, I didn't feel like I had any other option. I'd spent, um, like I first went into, I guess the medical community when I was seven and it wasn't until I was 23 when I was like, I'm dying. So, and I was really dying. Like my mm-hmm. hip had already dissolved. My ankle had dissolved and my wrist was going. And so I was like, my, I, I finally got old enough, I think, to realize the severity of my disease. And it was like, it's not just isolated to a hip or an ankle, right? You don't just have arthritis. And it's like, oh, well, you know, the hip's gone, but that's it. It's like, no, something's happening in my body that's breaking down its tissue mm-hmm. that badly and that quickly. Like this could kill me. Right. So I got to that point was like, I remember, um, it was silly. I was, I dropped out of psychology and I was in makeup school and there was a reason for that. It was because I'd been so depressed as a teenager that what made me feel better was like making myself look good on the outside because I felt so awful on the inside. So at least I could like have this kind of like well, war you could control the ex the external like that's why people clean their house whenever they're feeling stressed you know it's yeah, yeah. control the external environment it it'll make feel better internally yeah yeah for sure so I that was why I went to makeup school so I, well if I can help other people feel like that that would be good but then I was in makeup school and I couldn't use my wrist and I was like this is not the profession for somebody <laughs> yeah. with arthritis I was like what am I doing I can remember being there being like oh my wrist really hurts and then being like how do I know that it's not next right? Mm-hmm. It could be next. And so there was one thought I had and it was like, okay, I'm going to fix my problems or I'm going to die trying. And it was a very specific thought. And then I, I just switched. So it was some sort of mental, it was some sort of mental switch where I had to get to a point where I was like, I will do anything to fix this yeah, for as long as it takes. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've gotten, and so I think in order to really change how you live, you have to get to the point where you'll do anything for as long as it takes. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how far people have to be pushed to get to that, but I would say pretty far. Mm-hmm. So um, I, w- I went to diet and I didn't just hop onto an all meat diet because I thought that, that would kill you. Well, I didn't even think that was a diet, first of all. Right. Right. That was 2015 too. I don't even know. Like the the, there's a like a tiny little subset of people who are on the carnivore diet now, but in mm-hmm. 2015, like there was nobody on it. Um, so I hadn't even heard of it, but I went down to, like I said, what I thought was reasonable, get rid of all the allergenic foods. So nuts, grains, soy, like everything other than meat and like greens and certain root vegetables. I even got rid of potatoes because they were in the nightshade family. And I'd heard people have issues with nightshades. So it was really like, a lot of yams, a lot of sweet potatoes, a lot of parsnips, none of which I liked. <laughs> yeah. But you were um, willing to suck it up and do it because your health, you'd gotten to that point where it sounds like whenever you were saying like, I am going to die. So I have to do something about it. It's almost like, like if I try you on it, it really takes you to get to a point where you realize nothing, this is bad. Like, you know, nothing is going to change if I, yeah. you know, I have to take responsibility here for this because I'm not a passenger anymore here, you know, it's because a lot of people don't, I think, believe in any way that they can control their body. They don't believe that they can change things Like we see it everywhere. Like 80% of the world believes that, you know, you take a pill if there's something wrong with you. No one really wants to go to diet, exercise, lifestyle changes because they're just too fucking hard. Basically they're, they're hard. And I think like for me, 
first of all, they're hard for sure. They're way harder than taking a pill, but it's not harder than taking a pill when you realize that those don't work. And I'm pretty, and it sounds probably a bit maybe conspiratorial, but from the experience I've had, I was put on immunosuppressants when I was seven and my hip and ankle dissolved when I was 17. Mm. I took them twice a week until that point. So objectively they didn't work, right? right? If those kind of medications worked, autoimmune disorders wouldn't be an issue, yeah. right? So they don't work. And then antidepressants, nobody knows that those lead to dependence and that you can't get off of them. But if you look at the stats, generally speaking, if somebody's on an antidepressant or a psych med for over a year, they don't get off of it. And mm -hmm. it's because their underlying condition like never goes away, but it turns out if it does go away, your brain's adapted to this medication, which makes sense because it does that for opiates. It does it for like benzodiazepines. So it does it for these other drugs. So when you start looking at problems like, oh, this easy solution doesn't work, mm. then the other solutions that do work look a lot easier. So with my experience with the diet I'm on, it's the parts that's, that's frustrating is I do think that there's an underlying problem that could be solved if I knew what it was. Right. Right. And for a long time, I was looking into the microbiome being like, I was on antibiotics the first time when I was maybe six months old. Um, I was born through a C-section, like maybe my microbiome has just been damaged for a very long time. And maybe it can be repopulated somehow. The gut can be sealed and I won't have an autoimmune disorder anymore, but I've done way more than like anybody I know in order to do that. And I still haven't fixed it. There's a possibility that the microbiome you have when you're little modulates your immune system. And so you need that then in order to have a normal functioning immune system when you get older. But I, I'm, I'm not totally like, I, I usually think you can solve problems. I just haven't figured it out yet. But um, I think that's the frustrating part for me is I still think that there are things I could do and I don't know what they are. Um, the frustrating part isn't sticking to the diet because the alternative is having an autoimmune disorder. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I get symptoms, like I can't do anything, I can't think, right. Mm -hmm. It's not just, Oh, my joints hurt. It's, you know, I'm, I'm sweating at night, but the worst part isn't like the pain or the physical symptoms. It's that I can't think. Right. So if I'm having a, a conversation with somebody, I can't remember what I'm supposed to be saying. I can't remember what they said. Right. Mm -hmm. And that fogginess and the depression that comes with that, that like feeling of something's wrong, something bad is going to happen is just, I can't live like that. So any diet I could be on would be better than being in that state. And it really so is extreme, isn't it? Like, wasn't it, weren't you in, was it Russia or in Dubai, maybe? I think, or the United Arab Emirates. I obviously follow your life far too closely. Um, and they, <laughs> they put like celery salt or something on your steak or some kind of seasoning on your, on your steak. In, and you, oh, that was Florida. Okay. Oh, was so that Florida? was before. That was before. Yeah. And so that was, I'm a little bit less, I think I'm less sensitive now or I'm better at ordering at restaurants, but mm. It was, it was fairly early on. I think it was a year after I was on the diet and they used a grill that had garlic, like they were cooking salt steaks on a grill yes. and it had garlic salt on it. Yeah. And I tasted it and I was like, it, they obviously didn't add the garlic salt to the steak. They obviously yeah. just cooked the steak on the yeah. grill and didn't scrub it. And I was well, like, quite often they do this and they actually, whenever they put your steak on, like I used to work in like restaurants, on, they pick up a big thing and they, yeah, and they sprinkle it over the steaks. It's just a natural yeah. thing they do to season it. And they probably mm. wouldn't even have considered, you know, mm. they're, they're better now. Like I've noticed going to restaurants there, yeah. they have areas usually for people who with allergies. So I haven't been hit in a while. And the last time I think I had pepper or something, it did, didn't exacerbate my symptoms the same way. So I'm less sensitive than I was, but yeah, I was out for like a week. I got lost in a shopping mall. I went in and was like, I don't know what floor I'm on. Like I can't think. Right. And so it's that it's the not being able to think part. That's like, I would avoid that at all costs. Yeah. Do you find people are judgmental? Do you find people are like, yeah. Do you find they have a lot to say? A lot of questions you ever get like, Oh dear God, I can't explain this again. <laughs> Or are you pretty well known now? And so people mm, kind of know. Um, no, people definitely don't know. And people are definitely surprised, but I don't think, I don't think I've really been around very many judgmental people. Like usually what, I mean, I get, yeah, I'll get a scoff sometimes, right. When I'm, I'll get a scoff sometimes, but then when I'm like, Hey, you know, 
I had arthritis and I had my hip and ankle replaced and I tried a whole bunch of things. And then I ended up on this and I'm not really having a fun time on it either, but my symptoms are gone and this is how it works. Then they're like, Oh, Mm -hmm. I guess that's, that's why I get defensive (laughs) of you. Um, and I've talked about this with you before because of your, and I think it's important subject to bring up here because we are, you know, on, on opposing sides of the dietary scale, um, or whatever that would be. But I guess, um, it's probably why I'm protective of you in a way, because I know that I I hate the angry preachy vegans. Like I go on about them all the time and they are the nastiest bunch of bastards you'll ever come across. But I, I, I know that it's very easy to, with very limited data. And I think this is what happens. People have very, very limited data. They see Michaela Peterson eats only beef. Oh yeah. She autoimmune diseases. Well, what does that really even mean? And then, and then they instantly go, you know, you're slaughtering animals and you're killing animals. I haven't done my wicked witch of the West voice in ages on the podcast. They all love it. But um, (laughs) I like that. Yeah. I'm like, you're killing the animals. But, and so it's very easy to, you know, to stand there. But I said to people, I'm like, listen, if I had been through what Michaela had been through and the only thing I could eat would be beef, I would be killing a whole herd of cattle, (laughs) you know, I'd be feeding it to my kids. I'd be eating it. Like, you know, your health is, and your to be able to function in the world pain-free is, is, is something that most people take for granted. And I genuinely do not think that you can judge anyone based on your own experience. If you haven't, if you, if you have very limited data points, and I do find that that does happen. You got, um, you had a, you were speaking in Cambridge university recently, weren't you? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was Oxford. Oh, was it Oxford? Uh, was it both Cambridge and Oxford? No, Dad spoke at Cambridge and Oxford. I spoke at Oxford. You spoke at Oxford. How was that? It was weird. So okay, so the the thing at Oxford was actually a debate. So it was a whether we should move beyond meat debate. Oh. And so that the house, yeah. And so they invited me to be the obviously the opposing on the opposing side, but basically they have this, I don't know if people know about it. I didn't know about it, but it's Oxford union debates has been going on for a very, very long time. And then the house puts forward a motion. So the motion was we should move beyond meat. And then you have like three people on each side and they both do eight to 10, they each do eight to 10 minute kind of spiel. So it's not really a debate because they're kind of pre-written speeches. Um, it was super weird. Like, um, who's Paul McCartney's ex-wife was on the other side, Heather. Oh, Heather. Mills. What's her? Heather, yeah. I want to say Heather Mills. Heather Mills. That's exactly who it is. Heather Mills. Yeah. yeah. She was on, and she's her big. story. She's vegetarian, I think, but she's like really anti-fur and anti, you know, animal oh. products being used on. I think she's vegetarian, but she may be vegan. She may I be vegan. I think she's vegan. Okay. I think she's vegan, but at, so she started and, her story at least made sense. Like she got, she wasn't vegan. She got hit by a car. She ended up losing her leg Mm -hmm. and then she wasn't healing in the hospital and the doctor put her on a vegan diet and she healed. And so like, okay, you go through something like that and you can see like, yeah. Okay. First hand. Yeah. 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 So I was like, well, at least that made sense. And then I kind of, I told my story. So I had the same kind of like, you know, health thing. Um, And then the other two people were so, it was crazy. Okay. It hasn't been uploaded. You'd really like it. You'd really like it. Cause the the last person, she, it was each, each hamburger is served with a side of misogyny. Like there were lines like that in it. Oh no. But every single (laughs) sentence was that good. My eyebrows just just shot up for anyone listening. Not (laughs) not watching. It was it hasn't been posted yet, but I'll send you a link when it's posted yeah, because my dad, my dad was in the audience and he was dying in the crowd because it was like, it wasn't even about veganism. It was about right. the patriarchy and how it was the patriarchy. Right. And how, Oh, it sounds like she just wanted to stand it. up and, and have her voice be heard, you know, yeah, but she'd been, you can tell she'd been doing that since like the seventies. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was crazy. So it was just a weird, it was a weird back and forth. Um, one of the people on my side also turned out was a vegan. So, so their <laughs> argument was, I was like, this is just, this is just weird. It was very entertaining though. Is about it I wanted. Do you not think that people get stuck an awful lot in content? I talk a lot about process and content, you know, and I always say it's not because I would speak sometimes on or write posts or, 
um, like the vaccine debate recently. Like I, I was asked to speak at a rally in Belfast a couple of weeks ago and I, I spoke and I didn't, you know, it wasn't an anti-vaccine rally. It was an anti-COVID passport rally. And yeah. so, um, and so basically they, so I, my speech that I gave was less about, um, you know, the content of what would happen if the passports were introduced and how my human rights would be taken away. It would, and I took it out to a, a, a process oriented argument, which was more about the reason, you know, there is a whole group of people in the middle. There's the anti-vaxxers who are really extreme. And then there's the pro-vaxxers who are really extreme. And then there's this big group in the middle who really just don't fucking know, <laughs> you know, they're like, got the vaccine, thought it was the best thing to do, wanted to go on vacation, not really sure it was a good thing, probably get the booster, yeah. maybe not, you know, they're like, but they're, and, but they don't think the passport's a good idea, but yet they're like, well, I kind of got vaccinated and I have one. Is it really worth rocking the boat? Do I really speak up? They yeah, know it's wrong. Yeah. And so I went into, you know, I took it to, took it to a, what does it mean? If you, you know, if you don't vote, you're voting with the oppressor. If you say, I'm not going to say anything, you're voting with, you're voting for the passport. You know, even if you don't believe it in order to cast your vote, you have to speak out. And so that was the kind of argument that I took it to, like, what does it mean if we allow these two to come in? And, and I had so many people in the comments who really just didn't get it. And they kept getting stuck in content. You should get your vaccine to protect other people. And you're an anti-vaxxer. We should have passports because this and that, whatever. And they just really missed what I was saying or what I, what I was even trying to say. And I realized that yeah. most of the world is just stuck in content. They can't even take it beyond that to what would need to be true in order for this to happen. I'm not explaining it very well, but do you understand what I mean? I think No, no, I totally get it. It's hard whenever you're stuck with someone who's just hammering home their point of view. And I think that's why it's good for you and I to have these kinds of conversations, I guess, to show you're pure carnivore. I'm pure vegan, although I'm not vegan enough to be vegan for the vegans, but I don't eat, um, I eat a vegan diet or (laughs) plant-based diet, but I do wear leather. And will <laughs> and ride horses. Apparently, you're not allowed to do that either. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, they're sentient beings, and so. But I'm like, I've ridden horses my entire life. My horse is very well cared for, and they love me a lot. I think because anyway, I'm projecting into the horse, but I completely <laughs> lost my train of thought now. Here we are having a conversation, which isn't about you eat meat and you're bad. Well, you don't eat meat and you're hurting your body because you need the amino acids, but more into a process based argument of. You know, me understanding why the, why you choose what you do. It's not where I, I'm not giving my point of view, not understanding why I choose what I do, but like, it's incredible what happens when you just step back from your own fear and your own opinion and see the bigger picture. And I love, that's what you do in your podcast. I think whenever I listen to it, especially the opposing views, like sometimes you must do those opposing views and you must really like be on the <laughs> one person's side and it, yeah, it takes a it's lot. It's tricky. To, it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot. I've gotten used to it. So I'm doing like, I'm, I'm basically, I'll have somebody on with a pretty contentious subject. So like abortion, where there are people who are extremely pro-choice and people who are extremely pro-life and they think the other person's like the worst person in the entire world. And so I, I talked to a couple of people like that and um, it's like, I think I'm able to separate myself enough that it doesn't really bug me. I was more involved in the, I had a COVID one and it was mm. right. It was like midway through and I remember I had, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I've had a couple of COVID ones now and I was way, way more in agreement with one person. And it, and that was hard because there were some, like I was probably poking more into the, the other guy it was, mm. but I try really hard to not do that. I try to ask equal questions, but sometimes, especially if it's a situation that's like impacting me, I think I was in a lockdown in Canada. Yeah. It was like locked down in the winter time <laughs> for like eight months. And I was like, was like yeah. this is not good for anybody. Right. But yeah. It's it, has it taught you, do you think doing the work that you do with the podcast, especially in those opposing views and the people that you interview, do you think it's helped you to, um, be a better person, I guess, be more of a humanitarian. Like what, what is your goal with the work that you do? I think, okay, this makes me sound much worse, but I'm going to tell you anyway, but (laughs) originally what happened was I was on YouTube and I really wanted to talk to some controversial people. 
And I was worried that if I talked to them and put them on my channel, my channel would be taken down or blocked or something because they'd been blocked on other people's channels. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, what if I talked to that person? And I also talked to somebody on the other side, right. And show both conversations. Oh, that's so smart. <laughs> Thank you. So it wasn't originally. And then I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like once I did that once, it's like, this is crazy because the, I, I just did one on immigration so it was a anti-immigration person and a pro-immigration person. And a lot of these, I had a gun rights one. So pro-gun rights and anti-gun rights. Um, I did a sweatshops one. And the, all three of those conversations, I ended up agreeing with both people. Mm -hmm. So you can have people that are on completely opposite sides of an argument. And they're actually arguing about different things. So for... For sweatshops, for instance, there was one person who was really after, I think it was Nike. Mm. So it was like Nike, if they paid people a dollar more in some of these countries, it would completely transform their lives and it wouldn't cost Nike anything. Right. Mm. I was like, okay, that could be true. And then the other person was like, oh no, some of these sweatshops, depending on the sweatshop, actually end up boosting these places' economies. And if you look at it, um, kind of in, in an economical fashion. If you look at it over a long period of time, places start like that and then they grow and they stop doing that. And it's just one of the steps towards becoming richer. And I was like, that could also be true. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these conversations, they're not actually arguing about the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Which is interesting. Um, and like even the abortion one, it's like the, you know, pro-choice is like women need to be in control of their lives and you can't take that away from them. And pro-life is like, Oh, you're, you're killing a baby. And so we need to save the baby. And so both of them are saving different people, right? Mm -hmm. One side's saving the woman, one side's saving, saving the, the child. The yeah. And it's just, if you stay, I think the only way to really like live, if you want to be able to think is to, kind of step back and, and listen, right. Listen right. to people instead of being like, Oh no, th like these are my preconceived notions. And I think I have an easier time doing that now because I had a whole bunch of preconceived notions before I kind of went on my own journey. And one of them was, Oh, the medical system, thank goodness for the medical system. I wouldn't be around without it. And then that transformed into, wait a minute, all my problems could have been solved with diet. Mm -hmm. And then maybe if I was little and I just cut out some of the inflammatory foods, like maybe if I just stopped eating grains, it turns out I have celiac disease. That's the other thing. So see, people with celiac disease can't eat gluten, period. No. Right. Oh, they can't use and gluten, uh, shampoos, like, yeah, like yeah. hand wash, and yeah, you yeah. can't put it on your skin, on your hair, on your body. You can't touch it. Can't touch cereal, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's scary. Insane. It's bad. But like, maybe if I had known, if they'd looked into diet earlier, maybe I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be as restricted now. Right. Cause I don't have, you know, 25 years of damage. It's not how we're um, educated though. We're not, we're not taught to, we're taught to trust the government, trust the pharmaceuticals. We're not taught that, you know what? I've just, I just had this realization, right. Whenever you were talking about the opposing views that, um, if the world, and I really want you to, if you're listening to this, I really want you to sit up and listen to what I'm going to say, because I think it's very important. So I think the problem with the world is, and the reason why people get so vested in the decision they make, even just thinking about the vaccines, my husband and I were talking about this the other week, and he was saying the problem with the vaccinations or the problem with COVID, as far as we can see, and we talk a lot about stuff like this is he said, there's no trustworthy data. It's not like you're like, well, this is what we believe in pharmaceutical companies. And this is what we believe will happen with the, the vaccines. And this is what the government wants. And then on the other side, this is the harm that could be caused. This is the reason why you shouldn't. So we're not given the, the yeah. full picture in order to make a decision. And so therefore, because there's so much, like I had to make a decision based on intuition because there was so much of a lack of credible data. Because if the government says, or the pharmaceutical industry say, if anyone says to me, do this, I go, well, hang on a second, I need more data because I will yeah. never just do what I'm told. I'm always trying to get all the data in order to make a decision. And in the end, you just have to make a decision and hope that it was the right one. And that's what I did. But the problem is so many people did what they were told without actually assessing the data and then had to go through cognitive dissonance to reframe their decision in order to make it the right one, because what if it was wrong? And what you're doing with the opposing views is, is wonderful. If they... <laughs> If you could just like speak to the prime minister and have him like do this in parliament, this will be, I guess that is kind of what they do in parliament as well a bit, but 
what you're really doing is giving people both sides of a very well thought out argument and and then and then really in the middle you would be just, you would have to then look at an individual decision do i get an abortion or do i not and at least then you would make that decision uh mindfully is the wrong word with you know with with data rather mm-hmm. than just making it out of fear or making it out of lack of data or do you get what i'm saying i that's mm-hmm. right you know i think that i think it's wonderful what you're doing with the opposing views and they get a lot of they get a lot of traction, don't they? They get a lot of... Yeah, pe- people are interested. I get some complaints because how I do it is um, I'll have a list of questions and usually I send that list of questions to both people I'm talking to. And I choose like I choose people as well as I can. So I choose an expert and on both sides. I'm not being like, oh, I agree with this guy more. I'm going to yeah. choose a better person there. It's been difficult because I've gotten more of a... I've got more of a conservative audience. So it's been more difficult to get liberals on because in the comments, it's always like, people are always like, oh, this other guy, right. Is wrong. Right. And so that I think I have people saying no, cause they're like, why would I go on a more conservative channel? But I have a lot of people saying yes. Mm. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. What was your question? My question was just, was I was just saying how that? great it was about the, about the two sides of the opposing views. I don't know. We're just actually talking it out. Okay. But, oh no. Well, I was saying giving everyone data. There. I was saying if, if it basically what it does is it gives a lot of people data in order to make a really, in order to make an informed decision. That's the word I was looking for informed. Yeah. So that's what basically, that's what you're doing. But then you were saying it's difficult to get people sometimes oh, yeah. on one okay. side. I remember, I remember where I was going with this. Um, that was, that was a roundabout way of doing it. But I think the complaint I get is, oh, why not just have a full, debate like let the people talk to each other but from what i've seen people are arguing about such different things that they wouldn't be able to communicate even and they get like invested. the yeah yeah and they get angry right but like the immigration one the immigration one it was like one person was saying well, we should increase like increase in immigration bring more skilled workers he was basically bring more people because that's how you grow a country and that's how you improve the economy because people are spending more money Right. And then the other person was like, well, our country is big enough. You know, it's not the same as it was in the 1910s when we needed an influx of people. We need to focus more on people who are nearby, more immigration impacts, people who make less money. Mm. Right. It, that, those are the, that's where it's a problem. It's not the problem for, for rich people. Yeah. And it was like, it was like both of those arguments are probably true. Mm-hmm. Like, right. So, so it's hard to have a conversation. Um, it's hard to have a debate between two people when they're not arguing about when they're arguing about two different parts of the same argument. Yeah. So I think separating them out and just having a conversation has worked out really well. And then you actually get to see how they think. I always say everyone is correct under their assumptions. Everyone is correct under their assumptions. I assume this to be true. So I argue it. And so you're correct. If that is your assumption, you're correct. We're all correct under our assumptions. I have to ask, um, it really feels recently, like, I guess whenever you first, you know, came into the public eye a lot more, it probably was, would you agree or disagree as Jordan Peterson's daughter? And anyone who can't see me, I'm kind of in, you know, speech marks. And even whenever I Googled you, like I know you well, but even whenever I Googled you to kind of pull in a bit more data, it came up as Michaela Peterson, Jordan Peterson's daughter. And I was like, fuck, she's still got the billing. (laughs) You know, you're getting a billing. Is there a point where you kind of, you, you know, but it feels recently that you're more Michaela Peterson, like separate from Jordan Peterson's daughter is, does it ever, do you ever get like, am I ever going to be my own person <laughs> or are you totally happy with, with the connection? Not that, does that make sense? I don't mean I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. your father, you know, of course, but and it's a, probably I, his notoriety has helped you grow quickly because yeah, he's got yeah. a good following, but definitely. do you ever feel like in his shadow or? Um, yeah, I would say definitely, but I don't think it bugs me. Like I've spent the last since 2018 doing the online portion of his brand. So growing his social media and doing the online products and, you know, doing organizing YouTube and growing a team. And there's a lot, like most of the work I do is actually that like mm-hmm. my podcast from the, from the outside, it looks like most of what I do is my podcast probably. And then I have this diet thing that's kind of on the side, but 90% of what I do is manage my dad's work. Yeah. So when it's like, Oh, so I, I kind of, so I don't really care. Like, I don't really care that it's Jordan Peterson's daughter. Cause I've helped work on that brand so much behind the scenes. And he's amazing. Plus I like what like, he stands for. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, you're, you know, great. That, that works for me. I think having my own podcast and then doing the opposing views has 
kind of brought me out as, oh, you know, maybe she's not some like ditzy carnivorous, <laughs> like weirdo, uh, maybe, <laughs> or both. At least she has a podcast, but what was it? The, the, that fucking outing Barbie, Barbie, <laughs> touting Barbie, outing Barbie. She was awful. I think she was a little jealous. I mean, you don't call you don't actually say that unless you have a little bit of something going on under there. Little bit it could have been worse. It could have been worse. Fighting Barbie. That's actually quite hilarious. I was really yeah. indignant about that. Like I did a whole story in your defense. I was I was raging and totally Thank rinsed you. them. Well then they 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 um, were they were that was an they were deleting article. comments everywhere. I went under the I went the thing on their face on their Instagram page, I went onto it and I like got all my followers to go on and comment and they and just be like, <laughs> This is totally ridiculous. You know, you've absolutely destroyed anyway. For those who don't know, the the independent, wasn't it? Was it no, no it was the Times. The Times. So the Times in London, just very quick backstory, wanted to, were chasing your dad for ages to do a, a like a piece on him and they wanted to be really yeah. sympathetic and wonderful about his illness and stuff. And you guys went on, you did the interview and then they crucified you <laughs> and crucified him and painted him as some depressed, anxious, schizophrenic, schizophrenic basket case. And You're he was a fighting Barbie. It. Like it was ridiculous. But you know, that they deleted crazy. all the comments. They deleted all yeah. The comments and I was like, oh, free speech doesn't exist here. Before we finish, I've just realized 45 minutes, like I we're gotten in. There's a couple more things of just do you have time for two more questions? Definitely. Yes, okay. yes. So I would love to know what advice as someone who's been through a lot, what advice would you have for someone who really thinks they can't do something or is struggling to make a permanent lifestyle change? Because that does happen a lot to people who listen to this podcast. They are struggling and they're struggling hard and they have a lot of adversity in their life. What would be your advice for someone like that as someone who's cracked? Uh, okay. So I would say, figure out what your goal is, <laughs> right? And yeah, figure out what your, what your, your end goal is. So if it's, well, I mean, health related is easy. You're trying to get healthy, right? Figure out the smallest. Yeah. Pain-free something like that F- figure out, you have to kind of figure out the steps that lead you towards your end goal. And then you have to figure out the smallest step. You have to figure out the smallest step you're actually willing to take that you will take. So it's not like cure, right? For me, it was like cure my autoimmune disorder. It's like, whoa, (laughs) that's literally like people don't even think that's possible. So that's going to be tricky. Mm. But then what was the first step? Like go backwards. Okay. Well, I probably need a PhD in immunology or microbiology. Okay. (laughs) Well, then I need a bachelor degree in the science, right? Okay. Well, in order to get a bachelor's degree, I need to finish. I didn't have my high school sciences because I had my hip and ankle replaced and I missed two years of high school. I was like, okay, well, in order to get the bachelor's degree, I need to get my sciences. Okay. How do I get my sciences? Well, I can go online and sign up at this, you know, college. Mm. Okay. Well, what's the step there? Well, just make an appointment and drive there. Okay. Am I willing to do that? Yeah, I could do that. So do you, you don't so have working to, backwards, basically uh, you work backwards. Yeah. To, and then work backwards to like the smallest step you can do. So if it's, fix your diet. Right. I mean, I was dramatic with it. I just cut everything. Like I went down to 17 foods and just was like, we'll see if it works. Right. But if you can't do that and most people can't do that, then maybe you, if you want to lose weight, maybe you stop drinking juice and milk and you drink water in the morning. Maybe you don't even drink water all day because some people like, I remember I used to drink diet Coke most of the time. Yeah. Diet Coke. That was what I drank. And so like, maybe you switch from Diet Coke to sparkling water, or maybe you just switch from a Diet Coke in the morning to a sparkling water in the morning. Mm. And that's still like, you're still going in the right direction, but it's one small thing, right? Right. Maybe if you need to fix your sleep schedule, you go to sleep 15 minutes earlier and then don't disregard that as an accomplishment because you're actually improving and Mm. you can keep doing that. And eventually you'll get wherever you want to go, but you don't have to start with the biggest step, which is write a book or cure (laughs) something or get a six pack, right? Like you just change one tiny little thing that's easy for you and then keep changing those tiny little things. And it'll get easier and easier and easier. The step won't be from like, I, yeah. But I mean, it's either you're going to be, if you're impatient, I was impatient, do yeah. it 
faster. Right. But if you can't do it faster, then right. you don't really get to be impatient. Right. That's a really good point. Actually. It's like, it's okay to be impatient if you are do it faster. And if you fail, well, then you realize it's not going to work for you and you have to take a step back. Sal Stefano, I interviewed, do you know him? Um, I like Sal. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. I love him. And so he was on the podcast with me a few weeks ago and he says, never commit, never decide you're going to do a fitness program when you're, when you're motivated. Never. He said, if you're lying there fat and like, you know, you've been drinking too much and eating too much, not exercising after the holidays. And you're like, oh, and then you're like, right, I'm so motivated. I'm going to start like a, a new gym program and a diet. He said, it's the worst time to do it. Do it when you're not, when do it when you're not motivated. That's when you yeah. plan your fitness program. Because otherwise you're going to plan six days a week and five days cardio. And I'm going to do yeah. a hit class and yoga class. And you're absolutely not going to do all that because you're feeling motivated. Your state, you're in your motivated state. He said, do it when you're in your not motivated state. And I thought that was epic. Uh, Do you think then that people who have, it's almost like if I liken it to you, don't make this big plan when you're in an enormous amount of pain, wait until you have like a, um, you're in a, in a, maybe a place where you're not in so much pain. You know, I guess, I guess you probably had ups and downs with your pain. Did you? Uh, It was basically all down. I don't know. I'm torn about that because I know I was so miserable that I was like, usually what I tell people to do, it's hard to say, I, it de- really depends on the person because right. there are people who are like half dead and they can literally switch their diet and then feel better fairly rapidly. Mm. I don't know what the difference is between someone like I know people with autoimmune disorders and they've tried the diet I'm on and they can do it in six weeks. And that six weeks sucks because right. going through those metabolic changes, going through like all the withdrawals of all the different foods that you're used to eating, the social part, like it's awful, but they'll do it. And then there are some people who are like, no, they actually have to cut grains or cut dairy like that, or just stop eating sugar. Like they have to wean themselves down. And I don't know if it has something to do with their personality or their brain or their biology. Like I've no idea. It's probably, I I would say, I'm just stabbing in the dark here, but I would say it's probably a lot to do with um, how they experience their relationship to and how they experience pain because yeah. a lot of people I see, you know, or especially in my work and they'll be like, Oh, I can, but, but, but you know, this is the biggest one I hear. You're going to, you're going to absolutely laugh at this. They go, but what if I feel hungry? And I, you have no idea how many people are terrified of feeling hungry. And I'm like, hunger is just a feeling in your body, but we've been programmed. I think a lot as children, when, you know, parents are like, eat up your food and, you know, and, and we, I don't actually know why we're programmed that way, but a lot of people are fearful of hunger. And I, you know, I'm, I went to a boarding school where the I food was. was very sparse. So I was never afraid of hunger, but I think that it's, I definitely was. Were you I, right? Oh, oh yeah, for sure. How did I you overcome it with the fasting? No, no, that I didn't do the fasting, I think until that went away. And then I don't think I could have done it before that. Um, right. Getting off of the carbier foods really helped because I stopped having the sugar drops. Right. Like I think it was massive sugar fluctuations, but also I realized that the medication I was taking SSRIs, one of the side effects can be increased hunger. So I was like starving all the time. Mm. And when I stopped taking that medication, it was like, oh, that's kind of gone. So that turns to a side effect I didn't know I had, but it really changed. Like my hunger really dropped when I stopped having, I think the blood sugar fluctuations were right. lower carb. Um, but I was scared of like, when I first went paleo and things, I would carry around food because wow. it was like, I wasn't, um, I wasn't calorie counting right? I was just like, just all that I cared about was what I was eating so that there was less inflammation. It was like, just eat. And I was having such bad sugar cravings that I was like, I I was worried that if I didn't have food with me, I'd eat something I wasn't supposed to eat. Mm. So I I was carrying around like collard greens and a burger. You sound like a bodybuilder. You sound like a bodybuilder. That's what we do. We pack our food and we carry it with us. Cause let me tell you, if you get hungry and you don't have your food prepped, you're going to eat something that is not on the diet. That's yeah. why you have to prep your food and bring it with you. You have to be super organized. You could be an epic body. Really yeah. Probably not a vegan Thank one. You. Um, I have to be definitely not a vegan one. <laughs> Last I have to go question. to the gym more. Yeah. Well, you know, you've, you've got an excuse not to um, up until now. Last question, Michaela, um, what would you like to achieve? Like if you got to the end of your life and you're an old woman in your rocking chair and you're looking back in your life, what would you like to say that you achieved or changed or you know, that would make it worthwhile for you. And I know this is quite a big question. I probably should have sent it to you in advance, but is there one thing that you're really fighting for that you would feel happy if you impacted people with? 
Yeah, I'd like for sure. There are a bunch of things, but I think I'd like the first line of treatment from the medical system for lifestyle diseases, first of all, for them to recognize that their lifestyle diseases like autoimmune disorders, probably most mood disorders, you know, things like that. I'd, I'd like the first line of treatment to be um, eliminating inflammatory foods on a diet rather right. than putting people on a medication. Because I think, you know, even a, for two-year-olds with autoimmune disorders, limit their diet so you have less variables in what they're eating and then introduce and see what happens, like reintroduce and see what happens. It's so much safer than medication and it's doable, right? Mm -hmm. But the medical community doesn't realize there's a link between what you eat and your health. So right. if, if that turned into first line treatment, it was like, oh, you're experiencing these symptoms, limit your diet. Interesting story, if I may, very quickly. My nephew in Australia, his mom is my husband's sister. And whenever she was, uh, whenever she gave birth to Lockie, her, her child, he's 18 now, I think he's 18. And whenever she gave birth to him, she, um, she breastfed and then she gave him his first round of immunizations. And after he got his first round of injections, he had, I don't know what his symptoms were, but literally he, he nearly died at one point. She said he went limp in her arms in a, in a oh. car on the way to like the hospital. It was just, she said she actually thought he was dead and she had post-traumatic stress from that. Like she actually worked it with my coach recently and it went back to, she was like, you actually had post-traumatic stress that you never worked from that one incident. But anyway, the, the point of the story is she immediate, whenever he started eating, whenever she started weaning him, I think, I'm not sure what age he was whenever all of these crazy things started happening, but again, they just wanted to give medication, medication, and she absolutely refused. And she put him on a diet where I remember going to Australia to visit them for the first time. And Corey, my eldest son was eight months, I think. And Lockie was two and a half because he's, yeah. So he was two and a half and all he could eat was oats, sweet potato, watermelon, olive oil, um, and salt. I think, I think like that's it. That's all he could eat. There might've been one or two other foods. And so she would make veggie cakes and sweet potato chips and oat with water and like no sweetener and, you know, and that's all he could eat. And so she, over the years, so she restricted his diet right down to what he could actually eat. And I think no, he only started eating meat. I think year uh, lamb was the first thing he was able to eat. But anyway, lamb. regardless, yeah, lamb. So lamb he has seems to be lamb really and easy. Yeah, he still can't Lamb's, eat chicken. Yeah, okay, I can't. Uh, so I don't just eat beef, right? I I most I eat bison and lamb and veal and anything that comes from a ruminant animal. Mm. I can't do chicken. I can kind of do wild salmon in small amounts without getting arthritis. But like those, I don't know what it is about those animals, but they seem to be easier on people than. Mm. chicken but who knows well, how do chicken, you know like Lockie, chicken can be Lockie is now 18 and over the years she just kept introducing trying she would rub them on his lip first to see would he have a reaction if we were yeah. eating nuts in the house and we were touching yeah. we were eating nuts and then we touched the surface and he touched the surface afterwards he would come out in hives and a rash all over his body like it was that extreme um and so but now he's 18 and he can there's a lot of food still he can't have but his diet is huge and varied in what he can have. Yeah. He can have white potato. He can still have sweet. He can have, you know, red meats are fine. No chicken or anything. He can have corn or yeah. corn chips, dark chocolate. It's incredible. Okay. So your See, hypothesis what, could yeah. be true that if it had been dealt with in childhood, yeah. your body could have ad adapted over the years. Well, I think so. I think so. So I'd mm -hmm. say, yeah, if, if I could like leave anything, I would say, hopefully it'd be the medical community using that as the first line of treatment, which is especially just with children, especially with kids. Yeah. yeah. Especially with kids. Yeah. It's so sad. Michaela, you have been an amazing guest. I love chatting to you. Like we're always WhatsApping, but like we never actually make the time to chat because we're busy, but this was incredible. Can you tell my listeners where they can find out more about you? Because 70% of them are actually carnivore. Which is interesting. What? That's seventy percent of people hilarious. who purchase my programs are not vegan or vegetarian. Seventy percent, isn't that amazing? But I purposely went for that market. I was, I went for the. I'm not judgmental. You want to come on over and try the yeah, water? Yeah, yeah. We've got gin and cocktails, and it's warm, and there's no judgment. So I, I attract the ones who are interested in the vegan diet, but not ready to go the full hog or you know whatever. So. I know a lot of them would be interested to follow you, especially watch your podcast and stuff. So tell us where they can find you. 
Uh, so I'm on YouTube, Michaela Peterson, um, and that's M-I-K-H-A-I-L-A, Michaela Peterson. And I'm on Instagram, Michaela Peterson. Uh, that's probably the best place to go. We're going Peterson to link in the show notes, on of course, and put this on YouTube as well. And we'll, everywhere someone's watching or listening, we're, we're linking in the show notes. So we will link to that. We'll link to your website. And um, I just want to say thanks again for being here. It's been thank you very much for having me on. That was wonderful fun. to chat to you. Okay. Thanks, Michaela. I'll talk to you soon. Well, I didn't let you down, did I? Wasn't she amazing? I just adore Michaela Peterson. She actually said that my that her dad would come on my podcast too. She could arrange for him to come on. Um, but he hadn't been well, and so I never pursued it. But I, I definitely think, I mean, let me know, guys, and let me know in the comments, wherever you're listening to this or watching this, if you would like um Jordan Peterson to come on the podcast. I mean, who wouldn't like Jordan Peterson to come on the podcast? Like he's one of the great thought leaders of all time, as far as I'm concerned. So um I might reach out to Michaela and see what her dad would be willing to do an interview. Hopefully he would. He's an incredible guy. Uh, I'd have to think of some really intelligent questions to ask him. Uh, that would take a little bit of planning. So um anyway. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. I'm going to go home now and have some dinner because I'm starving and I will chat to you all next week for another episode of the Kim Constable podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I love you all so much and I'm so happy to be back doing these podcasts again in January. I'm sorry I took a bit of a sabbatical, but I really just needed a rest. So have a wonderful week wherever you are. Love you loads and I'll speak to you next week for another episode of the Kim Constable podcast. Bye for now. <laughs>